1 Corinthians chapter 14. Uh, we have been studying spiritual gifts or spiritual manifestations for the last several weeks. We're going to come to a close. If you're just joining us for the first time, I'm, you, can, you can go back to the previous studies. They're all available online, uh, but I, you'll still be able to follow along. It's not going to be uh, one where you're going to feel left out. Last week, we started looking at chapter 14, and we listened and we watched as the Apostle Paul compared speaking in tongues to prophecy or speaking forth the word of God. And he actually, we, we made together a list, if you will, and he told us that when someone speaks in tongues, he made it very, very clear that they're speaking to God. It's man speaking to God. It's not man speaking to the church or man speaking to the congregation or man speaking to another man. It's man speaking to God. He also told us that sometimes we get an, in, we get an insight of that prayer. Sometimes there'll be an interpretation where man can, if, and if it's spoken, spoken publicly, there needs to be an interpretation so we can understand what's being said. But he also told us that speaking in tongues, you speak mysteries. He also told us that the man or the woman who's speaking in tongues, they are edifying or building up themselves. Those people that would be around to hear that, we're not built up by that because we don't understand what you're saying. It's in a language that we can't possibly understand. And Paul contra contrasted that with, with prophecy, which is speaking forth the truth of God's words. And God's word, and Paul said, when you speak a prophetic word, you're speaking to man. So a tongue is spoken to God, a prophetic word or teaching the word of God is spoken to man. And that prophetic word or that prophecy, it speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort. And it edifies the entire body or the entire group of believers or the group that happens to be present. If someone speaks in tongues publicly, Paul says there needs to be, there must be an interpretation there. I don't believe the gift of tongues has ceased. I believe it's available for today. We've covered it in great detail, but I also believe it's being used improperly throughout many, many churches. Uh, they, they, don't, they fail to follow the biblical context in which, it, in which it should be followed. And Paul's going to continue giving us that context as we pick up in verse 18 for context. So let's follow along as I start to read verse 18 of 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Paul says this. He says, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. The Apostle Paul makes it very, very clear when it comes to a public setting, when it comes to a church setting, when it comes to this type of setting that we're in here this morning, if the Apostle Paul was among us, he says, I would rather say five words. I would rather come to the pulpit and speak five words than to speak 10,000 words that doesn't benefit anybody. Now, I don't know about you, but if the Apostle Paul was here this morning, I want to hear all he has to say. I, want, I got questions I want to ask him. I got things I want to know. But he says, I'd rather just say five words. Five small words than speak 10,000. And that's about two hours worth of speaking, probably. About 10,000 words in a language that no one else can be edified with. Then in verse 20, he says, brethren... Do not be children. That means immature. Do not be children in understanding. However, in malice, that's evil. In malice, be babes. But in understanding, be mature. Notice the Apostle Paul still is calling the church in Corinth brethren. It's a term of endearment. He says brothers, sisters. It, it, although he's correcting them, although he's trying to put them on the right track, he's still referring to them as his brothers. It's not with anger or with malice or with, it's not, there's no contention. He's just simply trying to set them straight and teach them. And when it comes to understanding, he says, be mature, be mature, be like a grown adult who's mature. Don't be like a little child when it comes to understanding. 
However, when it comes to evil things, there you need to be immature. There we need to be babes. Oh, we have that confused sometimes. Sometimes when it comes to evil, sinful things, we go, oh, I've been practicing that my whole life. I've got that down pat. I know how to do it just, just so no one else knows I'm doing it. I can hide it really, really well. I'm really mature at it. You can't even tell. Paul says that's not the way that we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be immature like babies when it comes to evil things, having no knowledge of it. When it comes to understanding of the scriptures, we're to be mature. Children are selfish, and they desire everything for themselves, don't they? Any of you that have kids, did you ever have to teach the child to say mine? No, how come? Well, because they learn it's, it's who they are. It's part of their nature. It's mine. And when they take it from the other child, they don't care how badly they hurt the other child, do they? Have you ever seen the picture where two kids, one kid's holding a toy, the other kid walks up and takes it, and the, other, the kid that got to take it just starts crying? And the kid that's got it goes, yeah, it's mine now. Forgetting all about what happened to that one. We don't care what happened to him. It's mine. I've got it. That's what Paul's talking about. He said, the immature believers, you're doing the same thing. You're acting like church in this setting is all about you. And you're, and you're glorifying what the Holy Spirit's doing through you. Yes, these gifts are wonderful. They're amazing. But you're acting like children. You want to edify yourselves by speaking in tongues, not realizing that you're just, you're just you're trying to put yourself on a pedestal. It'd be much better if you would focus on edifying the body of Christ. And Paul says to do that, you speak forth the word of God. You speak forth prophecy. Prophecy is going to help people grow. It's going to convict people. Speaking in a tongue doesn't really help anybody except the person that's speaking. In an effort to help them understand this, Paul points them to the scriptures. Look at verse 21. He says, in the law, it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people. And yet for all that, they will not hear me, says the Lord. The Apostle Paul quotes from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 28, verse 11 and 12. And in this text in Isaiah, the prophet is announcing the coming judgment upon the people of Israel. Since they were not willing to receive the, word, the words of a prophet who was warning them in a language they could understand, the Lord said, I'm going to speak to you in another language. I'm going to speak to this people with the men of other tongues. In other words, what Isaiah was telling them, the Lord is telling them through the prophet Isaiah, I'm going to bring another nation upon you. And they're going to stand in your streets and they're going to speak their language. And you're going to realize the judgment of God has come upon you. In this Old Testament passage, tongues was a sign. It was a sign of judgment. And this is exactly what happened to Israel when the Assyrians came in and invaded them. They spoke a language they could not understand. And the Lord said, and yet for all that, even with all that, they still will not hear me. They will not listen. Today, tongues, the Apostle Paul will tell us, is still a sign. Look at verse 22. Therefore, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Paul said tongues were a sign to Israel. It was a sign of judgment. And when you hear these unknown tongues being spoken in your streets, when you're surrounded by people speaking a language you don't understand, you're going to know that judgment has come. Your cities have been taken over. 
And here in this verse 22, Paul says tongues are still a sign. He says they're a sign to unbelievers. What kind of sign? Well, I think we could safely assume it's a sign of judgment, just like, it's in, just like it is in Isaiah. But there's where the confu- this is where the confusion sets in. This is where Bible commentators differ. This is where we scratch our heads and go, well, well give us a little more understanding. Help me understand. Let me read to you three different commentators and what they said. Leon Morris said this. He said, the connection with the present argument is not obvious. Perhaps Paul means that as those who had refused to heed the prophet were punished by hearing speech that was not intelligible to them, so would it be in his day. Those who would not believe would hear unintelligible tongues, but be quite unable to understand the wonderful meaning. That's certainly a possibility. Another commentator explained it this way. He said, because of the historical reference, speaking of Isaiah, when Paul says tongues are for a sign to them that do not believe, it is my strong personal opinion that he is speaking not to unbelievers, but to believers who, like in, those, like in the days of Isaiah, have grown indifferent or callous toward the Lord. In other words, he's speaking to those who don't believe in the present power of the Holy Spirit. And yet another commentator said this. He said, as a nation, the Jews were always seeking a sign. At Pentecost, the fact that the apostles spoke in tongues was a sign to the unbelieving Jews were there, that were there. They heard them in their own language. They were celebrating the feast together. Although the miracle of tongues aroused their interest, it did nothing to save their souls. It wasn't until Peter stood up and explained to them what was going on, felt going on, that they were pierced to the heart. They said, men and brethren, what do we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. So when Paul says tongues are assigned to unbelievers, we naturally assume it's a good sign. But in light of this passage in Isaiah, it seems Paul's referring to it as a negative sign. Now I must confess, going into the next few verses, you're going to get confused. I'm sorry to say it's going to be slightly confusing because it's going to seem like Paul Paul contradicts himself. And you'll see what I mean. Follow along as I read verse 23. He says, therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, And there comes in those who are uninformed or unbelievers. In other words, people come in that they're not, they're uninformed, they're unbelievers. Will they not say that you are out of your mind? Of course they will. Of course they will. But if all prophesy and any unbeliever or uninformed person comes in, he's convinced by all. He's convicted by all. And thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so, falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. Do you see the contradiction? Do you see the confusing part there? In verse 22, Paul Paul told us tongues was a sign to unbelievers. But in verse 23, Paul tells us unbelievers will hear tongues and say, you are out of your mind. And it seems to be, which is it, Paul? Which one is it? Well, this is where Bible commentators go, well, we're really not sure. We're not sure. Some commentators believe tongues is a sign of judgment, like we mentioned before, and that's what he's referring to. Others commentators say, no, no, there's a, there's a simple translation, an error, where a scribe would have got the words mixed up. It could, it could be that as well. I suppose that's possible. This is one of those areas that I want to ask Paul about. When I get to heaven, I'm going to say, hey, Paul, 1 Corinthians 14. What, what, tell, me, tell me about it. It seems like you're contradicting yourself there. Now, I believe I'll already know it when I'm in the presence of the Lord, but I think that's for now, that's one of those things I have a question about. 
What I, what I really come to, I go, I'm not really sure. But here's what I've learned. In my years of studying the scripture, I have learned that a good principle of understanding the Bible is always to just simply interpret what is hard to understand in light of what is easier to understand. So when you come to two things that seem to contradict each other, take the part that's most obvious. Take the part that most the make, makes the most sense. And when we do that, to me, when I look at 1 Corinthians 14, 23, it seems really easy to me to understand. It makes a whole lot of sense when Paul says that he, a, an unbeliever would walk into a, an assembly of believers who were all speaking in tongues and look at them and say they're out of their mind. I could see that makes sense to me. And it makes perfect sense to me when, a, when an unbeliever would walk into an assembly of believers where the prophetic word of God is being taught and they'd be convicted to the heart, to the place where they bow down and they give their life to Christ. That makes perfect sense to me. I have no problem with that at all. And I think that's what Paul's telling us here. It makes it very, very clear. The prophetic word in a language that can be understood will reveal the secrets of the heart to the unbeliever. That's what Paul's saying. Tongues is confusing to an unbeliever, but prophecy, the word of God, it's clear. It makes it, it's easy to understand. It's compelling and it's convicting. When you hear the word of God being taught, are you compelled and convicted? Are you convinced? Have you ever thought or said, maybe you voiced it out loud, I think he's talking to me. How does he know that's going on in my life? Who told him? Did my husband or my wife or my friend tell him what's going on? How's, that example he gave, that, that's exactly what's going on in my life. See, that's how the prophetic word of God works. That's not me doing it. No one told me anything. Oftentimes, pastors get accused of knowing too much about somebody's life and forming the message to preach to a certain person or a group of people. You see, when the way that we do it, I'm going through the Bible. You know where I'm going to be teaching next week. If you walk in here next week and get convicted, it's because God had an appointment for you. Not because I know something going on in your life. Sometimes this area of scripture I come to, I'd like to skip over, to be honest with you. Some parts of it are fun to teach. It's great. Other parts, I go, I don't really want to teach that. But I know that it's the full counsel of God. I know as people of God, we need to understand and know the full counsel of God. When a word of prophecy is spoken, people are amazed. How did he know that? And they come to the conclusion that God is there. God cares about me. God is ministering to me. God is speaking directly to me. Has it happened to you? I hope that it has. I hope that as we've studied the scriptures together, I hope you've been convicted. I hope you've been encouraged. I hope you've been lifted up. I hope the Lord has met you. It's my prayer all the time. Lord, meet us here in your word and minister to us specifically. And that's what he does. Now look at verse 26 as Paul begins to address order in church meetings he says this how is it then brethren whenever you come together each of you has a psalm has a teaching has a tongue has a revelation has an interpretation let all things be done for edification paul essentially is outlining the behavior of the church in corinth he said when you guys come together everybody has something they're doing Everybody has a psalm, everybody has a teaching, somebody has a tongue, somebody has a revelation, somebody has an interpretation. The meeting has become all about what somebody is doing, and it's become, what they're doing is they're edifying them, themselves. He says, how is this possible? Why is this happening? Everybody's speaking, praying, prophecy. He says, there's no order in it. They're, you're just doing what you want to do. Everybody's looking to draw attention to themselves. They want, they want themselves to be on display. Look how spiritual I am. Let me show you how the Holy Spirit's working in my life. Let me show you this gift on display. 
You see, any time that the Holy, the Holy Spirit's not going to do anything to draw the attention to the person. He wants to draw the attention to the Lord Jesus. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is to point people or to testify of Jesus Christ, to convict the world of sin. The Holy Spirit has a very specific ministry that we see in the scriptures. And in this group in Corinth, everybody's coming together like a bunch of glory hounds looking to put themselves up on display. And Paul is seeking to correct them in this letter. He's seeking to set them straight. He said, this gathering, when we get together, it should be about building each other up. Not talking about how great you are or showing how great somebody is. This is why Paul would say prophecy is so much superior to the gift of tongues. It's why he said, I'd rather speak five words in a prophecy than 10,000 words in a tongue. If everybody gets carried away speaking in tongues, the only people being glorified is themselves. The whole group is just sitting on going, we don't understand. It makes no sense to us. If I converted and began speaking the rest of the message today in Spanish, maybe a few of you could get it. But the rest of you would go, I have no clue on what's going on. Why did he do that? That makes no sense. It would make me nothing to you. Paul says, let all things be done for edification. It's not the edification of the individual. It's the edification of the body, of the group that's meeting there. Remember, Paul said, when you speak in tongues, the only one being edified is the one speaking. And there's a need for that. There's a, there's a, there's a valuable use for that in, in, the, in, in the body of Christ. If you have that gift, use it at home. Use it, speak until you might be praying for me and for our church and for our fellowship and for those people. If you've got it, use it. But Paul's very clear it's not to be used in the public setting unless there's an interpretation. And he makes that very clear. Look at verse 27 as he begins to tell us what the church service should look like he says if anyone speaks in a tongue let there be two or at the most three each in turn and let one interpret but if there is no interpreter let him keep silent in church and let him speak to himself and to God let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge but if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all, church, all the churches of the saints. So what did he say there? He said, if someone speaks in a tongue, he said, there should be no more than two or three. There should be an order, not everybody. They must do it in turn, not all at once. There must be an interpreter, if no interpreter, to keep silent. They're just to speak to themselves and the Lord. I believe that speaking in tongues in a church meeting such as this that does not observe these scriptural guidelines is out of order. It's wrong. I believe that when I'm here and I'm up here sharing the scriptures, I've asked for the Holy Spirit to come upon me. I believe he is. I'm delivering the word of God to you. I don't believe he would interrupt himself and then leave me and go have someone else stand up and speak in a tongue. That doesn't make sense to me. We, we're to do all things decently in, in, in order. There's an order. God's, God's very much in order. In verse 29, Paul instructs us about prophecy. Notice it's still regulated. He's still comparing and contrasting tongues to prophecy. He said, let two or three prophets speak. Not everybody gets to say what they want. Not the whole group. But he said, let the others judge. What does that mean? We get to judge. Yeah, you get to judge what I say. You know what you get to judge it against? The word of God. You, need, you get to listen to what I say and do, does it line up with the word of God? 
Now, there might be things where we go, you know what? I don't necessarily agree with that. I believe it's something different, but it's not contradictory to the word of God. That's okay. We'll always have those things. There's no reason to divide the body of Christ over those things. We're always going to have the minor things that separate us, and there's no reason to divide. When it comes to major things, yeah. How does somebody save? That's a reason to divide a church. But when it comes to some of the minor things, no. But you're supposed to judge when someone speaks. No word from the Lord should be received without careful consideration by the leadership of the church and those that are present at the meeting. What did John say in 1 John 4.1? He said this. He said, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. If something is revealed to another person in the group, let the others stop talking and listen. What did he say? There's lots of false prophets that have gone out. You as listeners have an obligation to compare what the pastor says to the word of God, whether it be at this church or any other church. Now I realize you guys have all had, you can all choose to go whatever church you want to on Sunday morning and, and Thursday nights, and you've chosen to be here this morning, and we're thankful for that. But hopefully wherever you go, whether it be here or anybody else, you always ask yourself, is he teaching the word of God? Is he teaching his own agenda, or is he teaching God's word? You see, as a pastor, I have the obligation to declare to you the full counsel of God. You learning the word of God, putting it in your heart, is what's going to change your life. Speaking in tongues, probably not going to change your life. Might be cool, but it's not, it's not what's going to change the way that you live. The word of God being taught to you in a way that you can understand it is going to change your life. You cannot be the same as study the word of God. In fact, if you don't like hearing the word of God, you will leave and go find another church because you don't want it to change your life. We've watched that happen in our midst. People drop off. They start slipping away. Why? Because they don't want to hear the word of God anymore because they're done changing. They're not ready to give things up. You see, the Holy Spirit is really good at what he does. And he's really good at ministering to you right where you are. And I trust him fully to convict you. I don't need to convict you. The word of God and the Holy Spirit will convict you just fine. He will encourage you. He will meet you right where you're at. And he does tell us there, prophesy one by one. Take turns in order. Why? Now, this type of setting, we need to take into account what was going on there in Corinth. The church in Corinth did not have a church like we do here this morning. They were meeting in smaller groups in each other's homes. And apparently these meetings had become chaotic. There was not a clear leader there. And Paul, in his writing this letter, is trying to bring order to the church there. He's trying to establish the prophetic word is far more important than just simply operating in a spiritual gift. He's not going to take away the spiritual gift. He says, listen, I want your focus to be on the word of God. Let the Lord do what the Lord's going to do, but let your focus be on my word. It's not that Paul ever wants them or tells them to stop speaking in tongues. But he doesn't want it to become the focus of the meeting. Perhaps you've been to a meeting that way. Perhaps you've been to a church that way where it seems the whole focus is about the Holy Spirit's manifesting himself in a certain way in a certain group. Perhaps you've seen crazy things that I've seen in different churches. I've been to a lot of different churches over the years, and I've seen some pretty crazy things. What Paul's saying is, listen, the prophetic word, the speaking forth of God's word, the truth of God's word is what needs to happen in the group setting. Now, what Paul is describing here, it would be kind of difficult in a setting like we have here this morning. It'd be kind of difficult in a larger group, but it's perfectly plausible in a small group, in a home study, in a home church. It could happen just like Paul describes it. Out of necessity, the Corinthians gathered at each other's homes. They didn't have church buildings like we do today. There was a freedom and a responsibility not only to receive from the group, but also to give to the group. 
It was, I'm getting something when I go, but I'm also giving something when I go. And our church should be the same way. When they would come together, someone might be reading or singing a psalm. Another might offer a word of teaching. Someone might pray in a tongue along with an interpretation. Someone else might give a revelation, a word, of God's, a word from God's heart or mind as they gathered together. Can you see how this would be beneficial in a small group? It'd be wonderful to be part of that. But what about in a large group? It'd be chaotic. What if everybody came in here this morning with something to say? We had to sit and listen to what everybody had to say. How, many, how far could we actually make it before your mind started going somewhere else, before you started getting up and walking out? That's not what we want. We, we, we didn't come here to listen to all of that. We, we just want to hear the word of God being taught. So which is right? Is it the small house church, the small group, or the larger church? There's no right or wrong. It's not about one being better or worse. The Lord uses both of them. If you're part of a small group study or you have a group of people that meet in a, in a home together, that's faithful, that's, that's beneficial. You're going to grow in that. And you might even see it working the way that we see here in Scripture. But when we come here together on Sundays and Thursdays as a larger group, it doesn't work that way. It can't work that way. It would be simply chaotic. Look at verse 32. It's very, very important when talking about spiritual gifts. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. The word subject means to submit to the orders or directives of someone. The spirits of those speaking in tongues or those prophesying are subject to themselves. What does that mean? Paul is saying that nobody is ever overwhelmed by a spiritual gift to the point where they lose control. He says the spirit of the prophet or the person that is that's prophesying or speaking, whatever it is, they're subject to their very own spirits. The Holy Spirit does not take control of a person like a demon would. It doesn't work that way. One of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Now maybe you've been to a church where you've seen people say, I have no self-control, I can't, I can't help it. Okay, if that's true, then it's not the Holy Spirit. Because right here, Paul tells us the spirit of the prophet is subject to himself. And we also know the fruit of, one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. What kind of spirit is it? I don't know. I don't want to be around it. I have no interest in that. I have, any, I have nothing interested in, interest in anything that's out of order, anything that's not decently done in order. I have no interest in things that go outside of the biblical parameters of what we see. I want all of what God has. I want all of it. I want all of the Holy Spirit that he's willing to give to me. I, I want as much of it as I can get. I want every gift, every manifestation, everything I can possibly get my hands on, I want from him. But I don't want to step one inch over a boundary that is not covered here in Scripture because then I step into a realm where I don't know what I'm getting. I don't know what's going on. I'm not sure of that, and I'm going to stay away from that. Verse 33, look what Paul says to drive his point home. For God is not, right, underline this, for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. When it comes to spiritual gifts, manifestations of the Holy Spirit, remember this. If there is confusion, if there is disorder in a church meeting, it isn't from the Lord. It's not that way. God may do things that you don't understand. He may do things that you can't follow. He may do things that seem strange or unpredictable, but it will not have that feeling of confusion. It will not have that feeling of chaos. It will not have that feeling of out of control. When the Lord does something and he manifests himself in a way, it's going to bring you to a place of worship because you know God's doing it. He's not going to leave you wondering. When the Lord moves and, and the Spirit moves in a way that's not ordinary that we see on a regular basis, it brings you to a place of, wow, there's no doubt this is the Lord. 
If you're wondering, this is a bunch of confusion, this is a bunch of chaos, it's not from the Lord. It's not. It's, it's not. That's what the Bible says. Now, speaking of confusion, look at verse 34. He says, let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive, as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for women to speak in church. Talk about stirring up controversy in today's world, huh? Wow, let's just skip that one. What do you think? We'll just take, the, everybody just mark that out, right? No, we would never do that. We would never do that. We, we, we might not like what the Bible says sometimes, but I want to explain it to you. I want you to understand it. In the Jewish synagogues, this is the Jewish side, men and women would sit apart. The men would sit on one side, the women would sit on the other side. And if a woman during the time in synagogue chattered or she called out to her husband, who was sitting on the other side of the room, she would be dealt with harshly. She wasn't supposed to do that. She knew that she was supposed to sit quietly. Now, it's possible that the Corinthian church had adopted these same type of practices as they would get together in a room. Perhaps the men would sit on one side, perhaps the women would sit on another. We're not completely sure of that. But it's also possible that coming out of these Gentile backgrounds and not understand the customs of the day, of the Jewish customs of the day, they didn't know how to conduct themselves in the church meetings. So the church meetings were getting, getting out of control. So Paul here sets the record straight. He wants to teach them. Rob, are you saying that women should be silent in church and never say a word? Because that's what it says. That, that's what the scripture says. What are, you, are you saying that as a woman I have to just be quiet until I walk out those doors from now on? No, I don't believe that's what Paul means here. And let me explain to you why I don't believe that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 5, Paul gave women instruction about praying and prophesying with their heads Covered versus uncovered. He made that clear to them. He would have never given those instructions if he never meant for them to speak. I believe Paul's addressing a specific problem in the church in Corinth. He's not revoking their ability to pray or to prophesy. Instead, he seems to be addressing this problem within that church in Corinth. It seems as there in Corinth, the ladies, they were interrupting the service. Perhaps they were asking questions that should have been asked to their husband. Perhaps they were manifesting spiritual gifts at the improper time. It may also be that when Paul said to judge those that are speaking, judge the prophetic word, that they were judging and publicly and declaring something when this should have been left to the group or to the men. Either way, Paul is instructing these ladies there to allow the male leadership of the group to rightly make these decisions about the prophecy or about what was taking place. And he also tells them to learn quietly, not to interfere with the group, but he makes it very clear. When a woman, when a wife, when a lady has a question about something in church, what should she do? Paul says they should ask their husband. They should go home and ask their husband. Ask, ask the husband after the service. And here's, the, here's what I always get. My husband doesn't believe. My husband doesn't know anything. I'm smarter than he is in the scriptures. I know more than him. He should be asking me this. Hey, Paul's directive is very clear. Ask your husband. If there's something you're confused with, if there's something that you don't understand, Paul says, ask your husband first. Why would he say this? Because if a lady, if a wife, or even a young lady circumvents her husband or her father or family and comes directly to the leadership of the church, she's pushing that husband in the background. She's essentially telling him, you don't know what you're talking about. I can't get what I need from you. You don't have the information I need, but I can get it from the pastor. 
or from an elder or from a leader. Oftentimes I've had women ask me questions. And oftentimes I'll say, why don't you go home and ask your husband? And it's an easy answer. And I usually get it. Well, they won't know. I, they don't understand. I said, well, I'll tell you what. Why don't you go home and try? Rather than, rather, rather than just me giving you an answer, why don't you go ask him? It might be the very thing that sparks the conversation that brings him to salvation. Now, that doesn't mean, ladies, you can go home and go say something condescending. It doesn't mean you can go home and say, well, if you know the answer to this, let me give you a question. It doesn't mean you try to trap him or you try to corner him. It means you go to him for his opinion. You go to him because you want to hear what he has to say on the situation. Now, as crazy as it might sound, and i got to tell you this, when it comes to operating within the biblical parameters of things, I have watched women do this and watched the Lord bless the answers and the works of the husband when we would look on and, and think, that doesn't make any sense. I've had situations where I've told women, why don't you let your husband make that decision? Go home and see what he has to say about it. <coughs> and she says something to the effect of, well, he's not going to know what to do. I said, go try it. And he comes back with a decision. He makes a decision. Finally, he made a decision because you let him. And the decision, is, it just seems dumb. Like, man, I'm looking at going, oh, I can't believe that. He's not, don't do that. Then you know what the Lord does? He blesses it. Because it's coming under line with his word. Because it's the way that he prescribed it. It's the way he does. And we would look on it and go, well, that doesn't make any sense. But it's the husband coming to the wife and the wife coming to the husband. If you both can't figure it out, then come ask me or ask somebody else. But bring the husband involved in it. It might be the very thing that saves his soul. Unfortunately, too many Christian homes are led spiritually by women or by wives. Too many times the husband doesn't take an interest. They can't answer the questions because she is better taught in the scriptures than he is. For the women, I would encourage you to ask your husbands. For the husbands, I would encourage you to stand up and be the spiritual leaders in your home. Stand up, learn the things. You might not have the answer, but you know what? It's okay to say, you know what, honey? I don't know, but I'll find out. And then you go dig and you find out that answer. And then you bring her the answer back and the two of you grow together. You see, that's what the Lord wants. That's how it worked in my life. When Rebecca and I got married, I knew more than she did about the scriptures. Because I had gone to Baptist school. I had gone the first six years in Baptist school. I knew all the Bible stories. I had all the books of the Bible memorized. I had some verses memorized. I had that down. I was good. But then she got saved right before we got married. About a month before we got married, she got saved. Now, for the first six months, I was on top. I could answer all of her questions. But she was like a sponge. She was learning. And, she, and her questions got harder and deeper and more theological. And she would come home and ask me, hey, what do you think of this? I had to learn to say, I don't know. And I had a choice. YouTube. You can find out all. No, don't go to YouTube. I had a choice. I could either go find out the answer and grow together, or I could just push it off and say, ah, go ask the pastor. Go ask somebody at church. And if I'd have done that, I'd have been pushing her towards somebody else. But instead, by finding out the answer, I didn't know it, but I would go find it out. And I slowly became the spiritual leader in my home that way. Didn't have the answers, but I was willing to go seek them out. Men, go look for the answers. Women, ask the questions. Be very, very careful. It's not to put down your husband in some way or to prove him that he doesn't know anything. Go see what he has to say. Young ladies, ask your fathers if you're not, if you're not married. I think the Lord will bless it. Look at verse 36. Paul says this. He says, or did the word of God come originally from you? The answer to that is no. Or was it you only that it reached? No. If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, 
let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. But if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. Paul's wondering. He says, did the word of God just come to you? No. Did, did, did the word of God, is it, is it just coming out of Corinth? Is that where it's coming from? No, the answer is. Paul says, do you want to debate these things with me? Do you want to have a conversation? In other words, he's telling them, God's word did not come from you, the Corinthians. You are not the center of God's word. No, it was given to me, Paul says. Paul said, the word of God has been revealed to me, and I am sharing them with you. You need to understand and accept my apostolic authority. Instead of contending with me, why don't you sit, listen, and learn underneath of me? He says, if anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual. He says, if you're a prophet or you're spiritual there in Corinth, then you would know that I am speaking from the Lord. Paul essentially is establishing his authority over the Corinthians there, his apostolic authority. Why would he need to do this? Because what would happen at the next meeting there in Corinth if someone stood up with the prophetic word and they were going to declare something from the Lord and all of a sudden they said, Paul's all wrong. The gospel that Paul preached, well, it's not right. There's some things that he forgot. There's some things that need to be added to it. Let me share with you. Paul's making it very, very clear. No, no, the word of God is not coming from you. The word of God is coming from me to you. Paul recognizes his apostolic authority, and he's saying it there. He's anticipating that this is going to happen in Corinth. There's going to be a day where someone stands up and questions me, and Paul wants them to know that the word of God is coming directly from the Lord to, through me to you. You and I can't make that claim, can we? We don't have the apostolic authority like Paul says. I can't say to you, thus saith the Lord, unless I read it from God's word. But when it comes from God's word, then we can be sure that it's coming from God. We don't have the same authority. We can't make the same claim. But here's what we do know. If anyone's teaching you anything, if they're sharing things to you about God, where can you validate it? God's word. This is, this is, our, this is our standard. This is our ruler. This is our plumb line, if you will. If what I'm saying is it true, go back to God's word. Go back and study what it says. See for yourself. Paul is essentially saying, if you ignore my apostolic authority, I'm going to ignore you and the rest of the church will ignore you. You see, our fellowship here in our church, it's based around Christ. It's based around the word of God. When you reject the word of God, you break the fellowship. If you decide that all of a sudden you're going to go off and follow some crazy doctor that doesn't contain in the word of God, you're not going to be comfortable here any longer. Because you've broken the fellowship, you've divided off into chase something that doesn't really exist or something that you think is important. The rest of us say, no, no, we're staying here. We're staying focused on the word of God. And to sum it all up, look what Paul says in verse 39. He says, therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy. And do not forbid to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. Paul's making it crystal clear. Prophecy is more important than tongues. But the church should not prohibit the speaking in tongues. The correct exercise underneath the biblical guidelines of speaking in tongues. The purpose of the spiritual gifts is the edification of the whole church and therefore the gifts must be exercised in an orderly manner. Paul makes it very clear. Let all things be done decently and in order. 
If you're looking at something within a church, on a television show, ask yourself that question. Is it being done decently and in order? Is it being done in a confusing manner? Is chaos ensuing around it? What does it look like? Or is it being done in a way where you go, wow, this is the Lord doing something. You see, there's a difference. The Lord will always do it decently and in order, and he'll do it to bring glory to himself. Mankind will always bring glory to himself as well if he's not careful, because that's our temptation. We want the recognition. We want the glory. Before leaving this chapter, I want to just summarize what Paul wrote about the gift of tongues here in chapter 14. In verse 2, he said, Those who speak in tongues do not speak to men, but to God. He went on to say, Those who speak in tongues speak mysteries in the Spirit, and no one understands them. He wrote that tongues edify the one speaking. He told us that prophecy edifies the whole body. He told us that tongues must be interpreted if spoken in a public setting. And he said in church, the Apostle Paul himself said, I would rather speak five words in a language where everyone can understand me than 10,000 words in an unknown language. He told us that tongues was confusing to unbelievers. They literally think you're out of your mind. He told us that tongues should be spoken in turn with an interpreter and no more than two or three in the right setting. And he also said very clearly, the speaking of tongues should not be forbidden, but all things should be done decently and in order. Let's pray. Father, as we come to the conclusion of chapter 14, we've seen so much on the spiritual gifts from 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, Ephesians 4, Romans 12, where we've had such a journey into these gifts and these manifestations. Lord, it's our prayer that we understand them rightly, that we don't limit them based on our understanding or our experience. Lord, we want all that you have for us, and we don't want to just take something off the table because we don't understand it or haven't experienced it, but we also understand that you've given us strict guidelines and parameters for which they must operate. And the only way we can understand those is through the study of your word. I pray that we've done that, Lord. I pray that we haven't limited the gift of tongues. I pray that we've placed the emphasis on the prophetic word, the speaking forth of your word. And I pray that as a church, we would honor you rightly, the best that we can. Lord, you've created lots of different churches for lots of different things and different ways to worship. May this church always be focused on simply teaching your word simply. And we'd be focused on taking the word of God and applying it to our lives. And we'd be willing to yield to what you're doing in our life. Lord, minister to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.